Uh, many of you know Stephanie and I just uh, got back from a trip of a, a lifetime. We were invited to a chaperone and to teach along the way a group of college students from uh, Lipscomb University, about 30 college students. And uh, we went to the Holy Lands and, and got to see things, quite frankly, um, never dreamed I'd get to see. Uh, last Sunday, we were taking communion uh, at the Jordan River, where two of our students had been baptized right there. And then after that, we took communion. And uh, we saw everything from where Jezebel was thrown out the window and the dogs licked up her blood. Uh, we saw every, sorry about that, until... Um, uh, we, we also went to Mount Sinai. In fact, I want to show you a, a picture of what we saw at Mount Sinai, if you guys would show that. That is sunrise where Moses would have uh, taken the Ten Commandments. We got up about 1.30 that morning, uh, walked uh, three and a half, or <laughs> uh, traveled three and a half hours to the top of that mountain, and were able to be there for sunrise. And that was just absolutely amazing. I can't tell you how it makes the stories in the Bible come so very alive. It, it takes it from just being nice stories to, you know what, here's the place and here's the time, and this is what happened. Some of our best time was honestly spent, and here's the next picture of a boat on the Sea of Galilee. Now, you see that boat. That actually is a boat they discovered that had been preserved in the mud of the Sea of Galilee that dates back to the time of Jesus. And, and so we got to see some really cool things there, and we got to go out on a, a more secure boat on the Sea of Galilee. Show, show this picture. Um, you've not lived till you've been on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus and his disciples were, listening to Christian music just like they did. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was an amazing, amazing time. And when you get to see a Galilee, you begin to recognize and you can visualize the ministry of Jesus because it's really not that big. I would doubt water-wise it's much bigger than Lake Martin. It is more round and oval, like 13 miles by 8 miles. And you can see all these villages around it. You can see the mountains that surround it that Jesus would escape to. You can visualize where he would have stood on the water and, or, or beside the water, the edge of the water, or like we're going to see in our story today, on a boat and could have taught thousands of people because it would have served as an amphitheater. And, and so it was just an amazing place to be. And last Sunday, our, our brother Andy did a great job just leading us through Luke chapter 5 and giving you a great overview. That's allowed me today to, to settle down into one specific challenge I want you and I to have today before we leave that place, this place, before we leave the Sea of Galilee here in Luke 5. And that challenge is that we take up Jesus' mission to be fishers of men. That's what he's calling his disciples then and now to do. And yet, let's be honest about that. We are not so comfortable with that. One of the last topics we want the preacher to bring up, honestly, is evangelism. One of my favorite quotations comes from a lady named Rebecca Pepperett who wrote a book called Out of the Salt Shaker. She said this, look at this quotation. Christians and non-Christians have one thing in common. They're both uptight about evangelism. Could you say amen to that? Amen. They're uptight about what we're going to do to them. We're uptight about doing it. We're uptight about being rejected by somebody. They're uptight that we might have a, a message of rejection from God. 
So we live in this tension in that we know that Jesus has called us to be fishers of, of people. That's part of what we're supposed to do. On the other hand, I think she gets it right. We're, we're rather uptight about it. And, and so how do we overcome that? So today, I want to look at two of these stories in Luke 5 and, and, and look for the source of our confidence. How can we overcome our fear, our uptightness about sharing our faith? That's critical for the future of Christianity. Last week, you went in a story. Let me just tell the story, Luke chapter 5. Jesus is on that shore of Galilee, and he's teaching. The crowd gets so big, there are two boats there. Jesus gets in one of the boats so that he's able to speak to the crowd. Now, he happens to get in Simon Peter's boat. We know he had met Simon Peter before. Simon Peter and his gang, he just got back from fishing. They're cleaning their nets while Jesus is teaching When Jesus completes teaching, he says to Simon, I want you to go back out there fishing and cast your nets into the deep water. Now, Simon is a little bit annoyed at a minimum that Jesus would say this. They've been fishing all night, he says. And Jesus is not a very good fisherman, he thinks, because you fish at night because at that point the fish will come to the top of the water to eat. And the day they go to the bottom of the sea, which was rather deep, so that they could stay cool. So Jesus, you're asking to do something that makes absolutely no sense. But listen to me. Maybe this is a satellite you need to listen to. Jesus knows more about your business than you know about it. If you're an accountant, you're a coach, you're a teacher, you know, you're a manager of people. I'm telling you, if you'd take Jesus to work with you, you'd do a better job and you'd be more efficient. And so Jesus knew what he's doing. And, and so finally, you know, he asked Peter to do it. And, and, and Peter gives that, you know, you can just hear the sarcasm in his voice. Okay, Jesus, because you say so. How many of you grew up with parents who said, you're going to do this because I say so? How many of you liked it? How many of you swore you'd never say it to your children? How many of you said it to your children? I love my daughter, Laura. She's the sweetest, you wouldn't believe, sweet. But, but I'm telling you, if you're asking her to do something she didn't want to do, she would argue your socks off. I'm telling you, the girl was relentless. I don't know where she got that from, but she was, she, sorry, she was, it was me. She was, she was relentless. And so finally, you know, after a couple of years, when she was getting in teenage years, I broke down and I said what my dad had said to me, I don't care what you think about this, you're doing this because I say so, okay? And, and, and Peter's humble enough and obedient enough to go, okay, Jesus, if you said it, it doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm going to do it. So they go back out in the boats, they cast the net. I mean, the, the, the fish come swimming right into the nets. They begin to fill one boat, they fill two boats, the boats begin to sink, And in the midst of this, it is confirmed to Peter that this Jesus is extremely special. He must be the Son of God. He is so holy, Peter says, I'm so unholy. He's so sinless, I'm such a sinner. He's God, I'm far from even being close to God. He knew you're not supposed to hang out with God if you wanted to live. And so Peter begs Jesus, would you get away from me, Lord? I'm not worthy to be around you. That's a critical point in history. God, I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. Can you hang out with me? To this point in the Bible, you might not think it's possible. And then Jesus said words that you and I need to hear. Do not be afraid. 
You don't have to be afraid of being around God because I'm taking care of your sin problem. Do not be afraid. And then here's the line of the day. I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to give you a mission. And so here's Peter laying out in the boat, probably on top of all this fish, begging Jesus to, to leave him alone. And Jesus says, I'm not leaving you alone, Peter. I'm not through with you. i got some big dreams for you. You've been fishing for fish all your life, and that's nice. I want to give you something really significant. I want you to fish for people. And man, does Peter respond to this thing. He gets back to shore, him and his friends, they leave everything, and they follow Jesus. Now, what do we learn from this story about the source of our confidence? First of all, write this down. We fish with Christ. This entire miracle becomes a picture of how we go about the mission. My friends, they're able to have a successful catch because Jesus is there. Listen closely to this. Jesus knows where the fish are. So a lot of us, when we think about being fishers of, of people, we think, man, this is all on me. I've got to go find this person. I've got to open this door. I've got to go through this shut door. No, you don't. Jesus knows where the open people are. John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, my Father is always working. He's still working, guys. God's not up in heaven not working. He's still down on this earth. He's working. He, he's softening hearts. He's opening doors. And what we must do is we must go fishing with Jesus, not by ourselves. Second point here is we are equipped by Christ. He says to them in Mark and Luke's account, I'm going to make you, you're not going to make yourself, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Could there be a better illustration of that than the one who fell at his feet, Peter? Who doesn't think he's even worthy, and it won't be too long before he's preaching in front of thousands of people. I want to tell you about that scene one day. Thousands of people, and 3,000 are baptized. Peter became a pretty good fisherman because he's equipped by Christ. And then next point here is this is what you got to get. This has helped me so much. We net fish together. When Jesus said to these guys, I want to make you fishers of men. They didn't visualize what we visualize is one guy out on a creek bank with his Zebco reel and rod trying to bring him in. That wasn't their picture. That's our picture of a fisherman, okay? God says to me to be a fisherman. You know, I'm going to leave church today all by myself. I'm going to go out and find somebody. I'm going to invite them to church. I'm going to study the Bible with them and disciple them. I'm going to encourage them. No, no, no. That's not the picture. The picture is a group of men all around this net all fishing together. And here's the, 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 the cool thing about one of the words in our story. When it says, I want you to catch men, that word catch there literally means to catch alive. So, so we're out there catching live people. But here's the good news to you and to me. You don't do it by yourself. That, that's what intimidates me about evangelism is I think I've got to do it and maybe I don't have all the gifts. Here's the awesome thing that happens is when we all get around that net, we cast the net together, you may have the gift of making great friendships. Someone else may have the gift of encouragement. Someone else may have the gift of hospitality. Someone else may have the gift of actually sitting down and sharing the gospel with someone. Someone else may have the gift of inviting somebody to church. But all those gifts come together. And so when someone comes to the Lord, when we netfish, we can't go, so-and-so led them to the Lord because it's not just one person, it's all of us. Now, one more point I want to make, and uh, it's not on your outline, but I, 
Another thing that needs to be said here is the source of our confidence is that we have good news to share. We have the news that Peter found out on that day is that you don't have to be afraid of God. You know, the average American thinks if they came in the presence of God, he would either tell them he was disappointed in them or he would not speak to them at all. And the good news is that we have a God who embraces us. So the source of our confidence is that we don't fish alone. We fish together. We fish with Christ. And we got some good bait, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love that. Love that picture. And that's what we're given. And that's why we can be confident. Because I don't know about you, but anything you want to do, I do it better with other people, right? If you're wanting to start a good workout program, most of us do better if someone says, I'll meet you at the gym every morning at 6.30. We're doing this together. You want to teach a Bible class together? Most of us do better if we've got a co-teacher working with us. You want to fish for people? You need to do it with Jesus. You know, I'm telling you, I don't think I'd have ever made the top of Mount Sinai if I'd not had 30 college students around me. Because it was tough. My knees still hurt. And I probably wouldn't have done it if they had not taunted me the day before and told me I was too old to do it. That was a great motivation, I promise you. We all do things better together. And that's where our confidence comes from. Because you don't have to walk out here and fish for men by yourself. If we do this thing right, you're going to do it with Jesus. And if we become the church we ought to be, we're going to do it together. Now, there's a great illustration of this. Confidence in action in a story I do want us to read together. Later on in Luke chapter 5, turn to verse 17. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. And let's just walk through this story and make a few points. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the laws were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So Jesus is in full power. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him to the house to lay him before Jesus. We know from other Gospels, there are four men. They're net fishing together. They've got a paralyzed friend. They've heard about this miracle worker, and they take him to the house. But there's a problem. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now, understand this. Jesus, in the middle of this house, he's teaching. These guys try to get in. I love their persistence. I think if I'd been one of these guys, I'd go, okay, sorry, we can't get in today. No, isn't that sort of rude that no one was willing to scoot out of the way for this guy on a mat to get close to Jesus? But these guys are so persistent that they climb up on top of the roof and they begin to dig through the roof. Can, can you imagine while Jesus is teaching when a little clump of dirt falls on his forehead and the hole is small? Can you imagine how big the hole's got to be to lower a guy on his mat? Can you imagine the homeowner? I mean, what's he going to file on his insurance? It's an act of God, Okay. I mean, the hole gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and finally they're able to lower him. And then we see just an absolutely wonderful scene here. Verse 20, when Jesus, this is so significant, saw their faith, not the paralyzed guy's faith, he didn't have much, 
when Jesus saw the faith of the four friends, and sometimes, guys, the way we're going to change each other and change people is not because someone's got this great faith, because we've got faith in Jesus and faith in them. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, the church cops are there in full force. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They're no dummies. I mean, they, they know to claim to forgive sins means that he must think he's God. And, and they are big time offended. Now, th- this is what always tickles me. If, if you read that, they were just thinking these things. They didn't say them, okay? But look at verse 22. <laughs> Jesus knew what they were thinking. <laughs> Wouldn't you hate to be around Jesus? I mean, stop thinking by something. He's going to pick up on it. They're just thinking, who does this guy think he is? And Jesus knows it. And then Jesus is going to do what he's so good at, he's going to nail him. And he asks, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? What are you thinking when he says this? What do you mean, Jesus? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Well, what's easier to say? Well, it's easier to, to make the claim your sins are forgiven. Nobody can prove that or disprove that. It's more difficult to actually do a miracle that proves that you've got the, forgive, the, the ability to forgive sins to get the guy to take up his mat and walk. So Jesus then proceeds. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them took what he'd been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. So there's an example of four people who had confidence in what they were doing and being a fisher of people. Now, I think they had confidence because they knew their role, okay? I think that's one of the key things for us walking out of here today. We've got to know what's our role, what's God's role. Okay, let me, let me tell you four different characters I see in this story, or four different sets of characters. Number one is you've got this helpless man. I mean, he, he's a sinner who cannot save himself. We've got to see that, guys. He, he can't do anything about his condition. But then we have the second person, which is the healer, and he can do something about the condition. He is actually, you know, I like the old African-American preacher, Marshall Keeble, used to say, Jesus was the doctor who never lost a case. I mean, Jesus can heal people. And specifically heal people from sins. We have so many great testimonies in this church. I think of our brother David Bratton who showed up in Montgomery 15 years ago with nothing but a paper sack. He's been clean for 12 years. But he sat on this front row almost every Sunday for three years. And God healed him. I think of a college student among us right now, baptized a few months ago. Jonathan Vila grew up in Mexico. Strange from his family, left his home at 13 years old. Joined a gang, sold drugs, did all kinds of crazy things. Got on a baseball scholarship here at Faulkner. And probably the most fired up person we have in our church. Jesus can do it, guys. Remember that he's the healer. Now, there's another group here that we need to point out, not too good, and I call these guys the hinderers. They're the ones who are trying to keep people from coming to Jesus. 
And honestly, in this group, you got two different groups of people. you got the active one, the Pharisees, who just are going to fight Jesus at every corner. We know about those guys. But the ones you may not have noticed while we read this story are what I call the passive hinderers. They're the people crowded in the room listening to Jesus but not noticing that somebody is trying to get in the room who needs Jesus. And my friends, when we're so busy enjoying Jesus and we're so busy enjoying church that we don't notice the people trying to come in, that's worse than being neutral, my friend. That's being a hinderer. When you don't speak to the people who are guests in this church, you're a hinderer. When you don't reach out and care about people that are needing Jesus, when you're so wrapped up in your life that you're just excited about coming to church and studying the Bible and coming to church and seeing your friends, or when you go out from here, that's not the people on your heart See, guys, you just got to be offended to these people. Man, make a pathway. Let this guy in. He's paralyzed. Can't you see the mat? Jesus is right here. Why do they got to go dig through the roof? So we got to watch that one, guys. But here's what I want to get to is those four men, they are the helpers. I love that word. They are just simply the helpers. And my friends, what I'm saying to you, if you want to be a fisher of men today, is that you do not have to be a superhero You certainly will never be the healer. There's only one healer. But what you are called to be, what I'm called to be, is simply a helper. We can do that. You see, here's what they believe. They believed that Jesus was the healer. That's a pretty big thing to believe. And they believed that their friend was in trouble. You know, know, something many of us avoid, I do, thinking, or that people are lost. People are lost. But here's what they also believed. If they could get their lost friend to the healer, he would be okay. And guys, our job is not to prove everything and argue. Our job is simply to let down barriers that let people get to Jesus so they can be changed. And so I I love that word, helper. In fact, I want to show you this next slide. I was reading a book on my trip, and the man was talking about how we reach people in today's culture. And and he he broke it down in these three terms, hands, heart, and head. And and, and what he's talking about is that you and I live in a post-Christian age. What, What that means is people are not as open to the gospel as they once were. Because for whatever reason, they've got a bad view of us. They see it as bigoted people yelling on TV. And so, you know, we're, I can remember the day, 20, 30 years ago, you could go door knocking and say, hey, would you like to, to study the Bible with me? I mean, cold turkey door knocking. You could set up lots of Bible studies. Wouldn't happen today. Because people are leery. So how does it happen? First of all, we reach out with a helping hand. We're the people in the community who don't just see the problems. We're the people in the middle trying to find solutions. We serve people. My friends, that breaks down barriers when you serve people. And then we seek to get to people's heart. We share with them what's going on in our life. They begin to see our heart for Jesus. They begin to see our broken heart about our own sinfulness. That's why a small group is so powerful. 
because they don't just hear the intellectual arguments. They see what it means in somebody's life. So, so we, we, we serve with helping hands. We, we begin to try to touch hearts, and then that leads to the head. Then they're open to hear what the gospel is all about. You see, if you start with the head, with most people in our culture, the way our culture is going, you're going to be shut door. But if, if they just see, my goodness, those people serve like nobody else. Man, they love. I mean, can you believe the way they love? Let me tell you a story about this I read that just really touched me. All of us are, are familiar with the case of Roe versus Wade that unfortunately legalized abortion in our country in 1973. Jane Roe was the Texas woman who brought the case to the Supreme Court that changed everything. Back in the late 80s, Jane Roe was working at an office complex in um, Dallas. It happened this complex also had Operation Rescue, which was a great anti-abortion crusade. On breaks... The head of Operation Rescue met Jane Rowe, the one who started this. And after he got to know her, he apologized that he called her a baby killer. And he apologized about the way he treated her. And he started to love her. And serve her. And before long, he shared the gospel with her and baptized her. And now, in this wonderful, Jane Rowe is an advocate for pro-life issues. But it wasn't because we screamed at her. That would have held her back. It's because somebody loved her. And my friends, that's what happens. And that's the people that we must B. And so I want to challenge you about that today. I like the way our teenagers put it. We want to make disciples who make disciples. Let me tell you this, guys. When we start doing what we're talking about today, that's when you're going to become personally alive. That's going to be when this church comes alive. When every Sunday you come to church and you're trying to bring your friend and I'm trying to bring my friend or we're trying to work through our small group to reach somebody who won't even come to church and we're all doing that together and our mind is off ourselves, man, that's when the church comes alive. That's when the church is teeming with life. That's when you begin to have purpose in your life. Here's what Jesus was sharing with these guys. Guys, you think fishing for fish has been a good deal? Oh my, that doesn't compare to the fulfillment of fishing for men. Let me illustrate it this way. The first of our message, I showed you a picture of the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee is a beautiful place, teeming with fish and life to this day. 65 miles south of the Sea of Galilee, we also went to the Dead Sea. I didn't realize this. I should have looked at a map. But the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea are joined by the Jordan River. The Dead Sea lives up to its name. It's dead. You can, we did it, get on the sea, lay back, and float without paddling. You can literally sit on the Dead Sea and read a newspaper. And it is the most stinky, oily-feeling water you've ever been in your life. I mean, you just, you just feel, oh, just want to get it off of you. 
and it's dead, and it's shrinking. Now, what's the difference? The difference is the Sea of Galilee takes in water from above it and lets it out. The Dead Sea only lets water in. There is no outlet. And because there's no outlet, it just dies. And my friend, in in your life, I wonder, are we more like the Sea of Galilee, just full of life and energy and love and laughter and joy and Jesus? Are we stagnant like the Dead Sea? And what we may not have recognized, because it slips up on us, is we're stagnant because we become selfish. We're letting in, but we're not giving out. So here's our choice. The choice is, do we want to be dead or do we want to be alive? And guys, as individuals and as a church, whenever we turn inward, we're in trouble. Listen to this. The church is the only organization in the world that exists for the people outside of it. Sorry to break the news to you, but we don't exist for you. We exist for the people outside. And when we start just existing for us, we, we grow dead and stagnant and lifeless. And you do in your life. But my friends, when you begin to allow Jesus to flow into you, and the Spirit to flow out of you. Jesus says it's like living waters. The more of the Spirit you let flow out of you, the more of the Spirit that will flow into you. You see, some of us make this mistake is, okay, I, w- I want to get my life together before I start sharing my faith or start reaching out. Let me, let me get all these things down pat because, some, my, my friends, that can lead you just to more stagnation and more. God's not asking for perfect people. My goodness, he called Peter. That is sort of funny, isn't it? Yes. And this guy's full of life. And so I want to ask you a question as we close, because I've just got one point today, and I hope you've got it. And here's the question. To you and to me is, are you a fisher of men? I'm really asking. Is that even on your agenda? And here's what God's promising you, is that you don't have to do it by yourself. He's with you. We will do it together. And we will have more life and more joy and more purpose. Stephanie, I watched a movie the other night. He was called All the Money in the World. It was about John Paul Getty, the famous rich oil man. In the 1970s, I don't know if you remember this story, I'd forgotten it. His grandson was kidnapped in Italy. And this guy had billions of dollars in the 70s, by far the richest man in the world. But he, would, he was so stingy, he would not pay the ransom for his grandson which was actually worth about one day of his profits. The guy was so cheap in his mansion, he had, you may not even know what this is today, a payphone installed. So if you came to his house and you wanted to make a phone call, you had to make a phone call. 
He even told the press, I'm not about to ransom my grandson. I got 14 other grandsons. I'll have to start paying a lot of money. It just was this terrible, terrible story of selfishness. And finally, somebody had the courage to confront him and say, I'm not even going to use the words they use. You're a selfish, sorry old man. And eventually he paid the ransom. Only after he negotiated it down a long ways. But it just illustrated to me, my friends, I don't care if you are the richest person in the world, if you are selfish. He just collected things and things and things. If you are selfish, if it's all about coming into you and not giving out, you're going to be miserable. But if you will answer our Lord's call today, and I'll answer our Lord's call, we are going to have life abundantly. So today, if you're tired of being selfish, and you're honest enough to say, I'm not a fisher of people, or if today's the day that you recognize you're helpless and you need Jesus, and he's the only one that can solve your problems, why don't you meet me here on this front row while we stand together and sing?